0: Everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Maria Paula. She is the co-founder of JPG, uh, which is an on-chain gallery that is created and curated by users. It stands for Juried Protocol Galleries, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, I'm curious to know a little bit more about your background. So I know that you are like one of the OGs in the NFT space you got in before most like 99.9% of people even knew what an NFT is, or maybe before NFTs were even in existence when they were still called crypto art or whatever they were called before NFT became a term. Tell me about your crypto journey. Like how did you get into crypto in the first place? How did you get into NFTs? And like, how did you start learning about all of this?
1: I got into crypto around 2016, but I officially started working in crypto in 2017 as employee number three at Web3 Foundation Polkadot. And after some months there, I actually discovered the Ethereum community and completely fell in love with it, Uh, you know, at the time that we were building uh, Polkadot, the the community was very small, so I didn't know that there was such power behind a crypto community. And then I discovered Ethereum and I was completely mind blown there. So after that, I was like, you know, I really need a job uh, (laughs) on Ethereum. I had a job, but I needed one on Ethereum and i applied to one of my favorite projects at the time that was uh, golem i'm really interested on decentralized infrastructure and got the job and you know at golem i was immediately thrown into community work and one of the very first assignments was going to tokyo for the first uh, grant giving uh, ceremony uh, back then when we could have live events first grand giving ceremony of uh, Ethereum Community Fund, another organization that's no longer there, but, uh, you know, it was big at the time, you know, in a really like super serendipitous sort of moment uh, in the early morning at the Hyatt uh, in Tokyo, the same one that uh, they filmed Lost in Translation. So it's it was like a really weird sort of encounter. I met Matt uh, Condon uh, that was in a hallway by himself. I started talking to him and he told me what he was working on. That was, you know, very early work on NFTs. Um, He was getting a grant. He was one of the first grantees. As soon as he explained me what an NFT was, um, I was really taken because... I have a really big interest in art. I've always had it. I actually moved all the way from Argentina to Berlin to participate more actively in the culture scene. So I was really enthralled by this and by the fact that, you know, there's a lot of opaque instances uh, in the provenance of artworks and the certification. So that's the first thing that interested me. Of course, I thought, you know, the collectible aspect was also super fun. And Matt, uh, since he's, you know, the grandfather of NFTs, had already explained to me that NFTs could interoperate and do all of those things, like very future vision uh, for 2018. And I was like, hmm, maybe, you know, this is worth exploring. I continued working with ECF and one day we were you know at the Slack and I was like, you know what, guys? I actually want to do the NFT summit. And everyone was like this is a wild idea, but let's do it. And in October 2018 in San Francisco, um we did the first NFT summit. We had a uh, Matt, we had uh, the other Matt, Matt Stephenson from Paperclip DAO uh, explaining how NFTs uh, like intertwine with uh, open source research. We had Taratán from Ido. We had Elena Nadolinski that's now doing an amazing project. So many OGs, and also we had Jonathan Mann, uh, Songa Day Mann singing the first NFT song, which was really fun. Uh, yeah, you can maybe put it in show notes or something because I'm not gonna sing it to you because my singing voice is horrible. <laughs> and then actually from there. Um, one of my really good friends is an art curator, and uh, she also heard from NFTs from me, and uh, she didn't think I was insane. She actually thought I was. it was worth exploring. She brought in a really good idea, you know, starting writing some kind of paper about uh, sort of the intersection between blockchain and art and the practical use cases. And we started, you know, sort of the research journey. While doing uh, already uh, curating exhibitions within our own festivals in Berlin, that included NFTs, in 2019 I published with Stina and Fanny Lacube, who's also still on NFTs, um, the very first academicish-like paper, and it has become sort of a reference point. We're really proud of that. It was very early. You know, we started conversations in January 2019 and published uh, in April. And then this year, I was actually I, I just you know finished publishing the 2021 paper with my co-founders at the art department at the art department of the uh, Department of the Centralization. And I felt like I needed to do something with all this knowledge and all this research and turn it into a business. Um, I started tinkering with a lot of ideas about, you know, curation DAOs and critique DAOs and, you know, any other thing and, you know, things involving a business model. But I couldn't quite put my finger on anything. Yeah, at that time, I was also texting Trent, my co-founder at JPEG. And I was sending him just like cool, like artworks all the time, you know. Uh, and he was like, you know what, I'm I'm thinking about putting together this gallery. And I'm like, I'm, I'm down for it. I'm mm-hmm. um, sort of at the same stage. And then, yeah, he introduced uh, me to Sam, the other co-founder. And yeah, we started jamming, you know, everything happened
0: that is quite the story. And I I think like the word you serendipitous is like the word that so many people can use about like how they got into crypto. I think like when I look at my journey too, like there's so many serendipitous moments where like every all the right things just happened at the right time in the right place. And uh, that's really like the only secret to like how it happened. You know, there was like no trick or strategy behind it or anything. It was just serendipitous. And then yeah, like some of the OGs that you called out Matt Condon Uh, Of course, like he we had him on the podcast. He was episode 70. If people want to go back and listen to that. And then we had Matt Stevenson on as well, episode 62. And then just had Jonathan Mann on recently, uh, episode 88. I sort of regret not having him sing a song on the podcast. I think that was a huge missed opportunity. But you can go check out all of his songs and you can buy them as NFTs now as well, which is pretty exciting. Going back to your journey. So you meet Matt in the hallway of a hotel and he explains nfts to you for the first time and it sort of just clicks like how how would you explain nfts to people today that still don't understand what it is
1: i like to explain them from the art perspective because that's the perspective that i'm the strongest at but you know i'm also really getting into the whole you know explaining how The usual collector goes about collecting one thing or the other, doesn't matter if it's salt shakers or, you know, like Pokemon cards or NFTs, you know, there is something about collecting that is very into human nature. You know, I also try to think about how to explain it in the light of punks selling for ridiculous amounts of money. And I realized that actually, at the very core, NFTs and any other means of exchange, means of exchange have always been historically uh, part of the human nature, whether I don't know how long ago it was about trading spices or, you know, trading gold or anything, you know, anything that can be traded, it's about exchanging. It's about building relationships through the exchange as well. And NFTs, you know, might be the next big thing to actually exchange with and build relationships with. So, you know, that's the way that I like to explain, you know, the whole like craze about, you know, why are the prices so high? It's because people assign value to things that The people assign value to things. They tend to do that all the time, you know. So maybe NFTs are the next medium of exchange. Maybe they're not. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have all the answers. But I I, I think they have a really good chance of being that, you know. Beyond the artistry, beyond the collectible aspect, and beyond the, you know, technical capabilities of an NFT, the fact that people are transacting JPEGs, And building communities around the JPEG, you know, can be the next bank. Banks were, you know, literal banks at the the very first start. So, yeah, I'm trying to explain them that way. And people seem to like that analogy.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, because a a lot of people you know, give NFTs grief because they say NFTs don't have inherent value. It's all just what whatever value people want to assign to it. But that's sort of true for like most things in life, right? It's like we assign, like things only have value because we assign value to them. Like people only think that banks, you know, hold the power because we have assigned them this power. Yeah.
1: And in the Middle Ages, they were actually literal wooden banks. Or, you know, I don't like cumin, but actually cumin was part of the spice exchange. So it's OK that I don't like it. But you can't deny that at some point cumin was part of uh, finances as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very true. OK, so you have this idea for like an online Um, nft art gallery basically you meet up with trent and sam you guys jam on it tell me the story from there like where did it go from there
1: oh it, it was wonderful you know i've always said that if i made it in crypto the only thing that i wanted to do was to become an art collector and then open my house for everyone to see like once a day because there's like things like that in berlin and i i just love that And (laughs) I was, you know, I was just doing my journey while working in infrastructure and, you know, just this NFT thing was on the side. I hadn't really bought anything. And then Trent comes up after we share like a hundred links and he tells me, you know, why don't we do an online gallery? And I was like, okay, maybe my gallery was actually like not on a building, you know, I don't know. And it was so exciting. And I, we joined the Discord, uh, we started talking. The first call with the guys was absolutely fantastic. You know, everything was flowing. I was like, hey guys, you know, um, I just visited our museum yesterday and I think we should do a gift shop. And they were like, this is super fun, you know, and we started jamming about curators and this and that. Everything else uh, was, you know, sort of also happened quite in a serendipitous way. You know, I started writing some copy for what we had at the start, you know, the gallery. And uh, I wasn't comfortable with, you know, calling everything gallery, 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 because I didn't want to use so many terms from uh, the art world because, you know, in the end, uh, NFTs are much more than art. You know, they can be also gaming assets or whatever. So I decided to use the word registry just like it it was on my head. And then, you know, like a day later, Trent comes at uh, at us and he has had an epiphany and remembered uh, token curated registries. And probably I was thinking of the same, but, you know, I was just uh, fixing copy. So you know and then from there we we started evolving this idea because actually it made sense you know token curated registries for those that don't know were you know born in 2018 everyone thought they were the next hot thing you know it was about curating erc20s it never took off but actually there's a million reasons why it makes sense in the context of curating uh, erc721s and uh, 155 actually it can become labor to do this it can be part of you know incentive structures where you would curate certain tokens or you know you would have a token for curating a whole list of nfts but it can also become labor people can become real curators maybe in the future it will be fully fledged jobs i i also i don't know i'm you know i'm just at the start of all of these but it was you know everything clicked really and uh very, very soon uh, and in an incredible way, uh, some started learning a lot about protocols and how a protocol is constructed. So uh, we were able to bring a lot of the values from the Web3 movement that I have been involved for such a long time into the protocol. So, you know, You know, we started shedding the opinion of the protocol. We started shedding the permission layers. Um, So, you know, right now eh, the protocol is completely open and permission. So right now it's closed because we're testing, but it's going to be completely open and permissionless and people will be able to curate any NFT that they want. So, you know, we sort of started merging into like this Web3 native media, new media protocol that uh, is now. But it took sort of like a thinking process and a transformation process throughout the whole thing. You know, we came from, Trent was totally on into DeFi. Sam was totally into art. I had, you know, an infrastructure background, but I'm, I also have an art background and, you know, more like blockchain art as well. Um, And we all merged, you know, into having all of these uh, values and pillars from Web3 and combining them with what actually we wanted to build.
0: Explain how people can use jpeg so like the three main categories of people that can use it i guess are like the collectors the curators and the creators um and so for each of those groups like if i'm a, an art collector for instance can i just go on jpeg and open like my own gallery with the nft art pieces that i hold
1: so you can do that uh, basically those three user profiles that you mentioned yes they are existing on jpeg but they are not necessarily like definite uh, because nothing should be definite, and we shouldn't dictate the profile of users. You know, we're very open. <laughs> so uh, basically, you know, how can you use JPEG? And uh, it's in any way that you think that creating a sub registry for a borrowed collection, a newly minted collection, your own collection. That's, you know, that's the use that you will give to the project. And because you can create many sub-registries, so, you know, maybe you're a collector uh, that has a very large collection of, let's say, art blocks, but you are also very much into parallel NFTs you know, you want to have like some sort of like cute uh, art blogs, uh, exhibition, but then, you know, you want to give prominence to your uh, parallel NFTs because that's where your collection is. uh, That's, you know, where your interest is. So, you know, maybe you, you know, you want to curate things that don't necessarily belong to you as well. And, you know, who knows that if the same collector curator in the future teams up with a couple of cool people around and they organize a drop and they can do that too. You know, the cool thing about JPEG is that it's actually a, it's a core registry, it's user generated. So that means that you add a, you import token data, you don't import any NFT to the registry. And then that registry starts building as a canonical list of NFTs that are within the JPEG protocol for curation. And it's a primitive. It's a new primitive for the space. Then from there, the curators that can be either collectors or it doesn't matter. They can you know grab any NFT they want and curate them into sub registries. And those uh, sub registries are on chain record of exhibitions. Of course, you know at the last layer comes uh, of course the interface part where you can either choose one of our interfaces. Uh, We have developed uh, some in-house with amazing designers or you can, you know, bring your own uh, interface. You know, maybe uh, like maybe we onboard a really big art gallery and they have, you know, they want everything on the on the website, but they want a non-chain record of their exhibition. So that's where the strongest point of JPEG comes in. Or, you know, maybe someone has a podcast like you. And they want to offer uh, in the website of the podcast a bunch of things, uh, you know, episodes, uh, list of their favorite NFTs. So you would be able to create your own registry your own sub registry, with your list of favorite NFTs, and just show it on your website. So it's it's really versatile.
0: Gotcha. Okay, I was gonna ask like, what are the primary ways that you see people using it? So like, you could literally just display it on your website. I guess you could have like. I I was just thinking as you were talking, like you could have, you know, an in-person party somewhere and have like a big screen and display your gallery on the screen. And so people have sort of this like art gallery experience while they're just, you know, partying at your house or something. That sort of goes back to your original idea of like wanting to open your house to like show people your NFTs.
1: And at the same time, you know, after the lights are out and the monitors are out, then you would have that record. There's actually one one of the people that we we're discussing with. They want to curate an a, exhibition in their own really beautiful venue, and at the same time, they want their own chain record to start. You know, delving more into the Web three elements of the whole NFT ecosystem. So, and then you know, we we also have spoken to a lot of NFT curators or you know people that assemble. Different exhibitions or art advisors that, uh, you know, sometimes when they are assembling an exhibition, they actually probably need to either purchase the NFT or they need to, you know, create physical contracts to make sure that, you know, those NFTs are not sold before the exhibition with JPEG and having a registry of what happened and the work that they have done, you know, like like this CryptoPunk A, B and C have been curated on JPEG at this uh, time. This is a transaction that proves it, you know, and then if they sell, they have the receipts to sell to people and those receipts can't be forged or anything. And they also it's also important because we're building NFTs that are meant to last. Uh, right, you know. Right now, we are also solving, you know, the storage of the digital medium via Arweave and other uh, permanent storage solutions. We have uh, the Ethereum and other blockchains to uh, certify provenance, to certify the existence of that NFT and the ownership. But we don't have anything that shows the path of that NFT through, you know, different times in history. One of the really easy examples that comes to mind was that in 2016 or 18, I don't know, uh, Christie's did this um, NFT panel, um, Art Gnome organized, and artist Robbie Barrett released some NFTs, especially for the guests, and he gave uh, with a uh, super rare, and he gave cards like physical cards, you know, like these, to, to people to redeem those NFTs. Turns out, you know, people didn't give one and some of them didn't uh, redeem or lost the card. The lost Robbies and the Robbie Barrett AI Nude uh, collection that was released on Christie's, is uh, on the Christie's event, is now worth a crazy amount of money. You know, I think the last one sold for more than half a mil. So imagine if at the time there would have been a, a record that was able to, you know, help people track down, help track down assistance, compare them to, you know, the the record, any anything, any, like, you, you know, you could have done a lot. <laughs> so we're building for, uh, for the long term. We're building for art history. We're building for collectible history as well. And we're building to track that, to be able to help people track down all the historical milestones that are actually happening in the spam of,
0: just months. Like I see so many use cases for this in the future. And um, I think the cool thing is like because you only need the transaction to curate your sub registry, you could, you know, get together with a group of friends and curate something together based on the NFTs that you own. And so it's not just, you know, like me showing off my NFTs, like maybe I don't have that many great ones, but I can get together with my friends who also have like a few like really cool NFTs and we can you know, um, combine our collections together into this exhibition that is like way cooler than any of us could curate on our own.
1: Right. And then, you know, if you guys are, you know, still thirsty for more uh, NFTs or if you want more, you know, prominent things or you feel that, you know, a particular NFT would fit so well, but it's, uh, you know, none of your friends hold that. But maybe variant fund uh, holds it, or you know now a sixteen said uh, join uh, fingerprint style. Maybe a sixteen said or fingerprints actually own one, then borrow it, import token data into JPEG, and that's it. You don't need to ask them for permission. It's all cool. Maybe you do need to ask them for permission, but just like in a social layer, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like hey, yeah. heads up. Do you mind if I use yeah,
1: this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't, you know, the future is permissionless and it's open, and that's the infrastructure that we're building. So, you know, the curation of the assets within that infrastructure should be the same. And I don't see any reason why why it shouldn't.
0: How far do you see this going? Like, do you see the Louvre ever, you know, displaying a JPEG collection?
1: <laughs> um, I don't see the Louvre displaying a JPEG collection. I'm not sure what will happen. I I want to be building for posterity, as I said. I see a lot of you know new and upcoming uh, experimental art collectives wanting uh, you know that are gonna need jpeg because they can't afford you know to ship pieces they can't afford to buy nfts and they can't afford maybe to you know have a uh, monitors to show the the nfts but they want to do something one good example was you know there were a lot of uh, groups in the uh, in the 60s 70s and 80s about you know art uh, artists that became activists so you know it would be wonderful to have some kind of an NFT activism and have those records stored on chain and they would represent historical moments in time. That would be fantastic. You know, that's that's actually my end game more than Louvre, more than anything else. And to allow new forms of experimentation, um, it's yeah, it's basically that, you know, I. I'd rather uh, support the up-and-coming movements, and we don't know what, uh, how big an up-and-coming movement is gonna, it's gonna be. So yeah, I'd rather support that.
0: Wow, I didn't even think about that as a potential use case, but uh, yeah, I, I love that, and I, I, I would love to see it go that direction as well. That also is a lot more exciting to me than you know seeing the Louvre display it, although that would be exciting as well.
1: I mean, great for business. For my soul, I don't know. You know, I prefer to support uh, small actors.
0: That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, So I want to go back to something you said earlier about like NFT curation. And, you know, like we we don't know where this is going to go. Maybe it could be like a full-time job in the future being an NFT art curator. This is something I've thought about uh, more so in the context of music, because I don't know that much about art, to be honest. But having grown up like playing music and stuff, I always think, Like, it it just seems so unfair that, you know, in order to make it big as a musician, you've got to, like, have the connections with record labels. You have to have money. You have to have all of these things. And I'm like, there's so many up-and-coming artists, like, on YouTube that just don't have the resources to make it big. But they have the talent. They have the skills. uh, They just don't have the resources. And so how cool would it be, like, in this Web3 world if we, just ordinary people like me and you, can have a say in curating the next generation of, you know, big artists that we're going to see at concerts and we're going to hear on the radio and um, all of these things. So, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, if you agree with that, you know, from like an art perspective or or if you have, you know, you think about it in like different ways.
1: I I do. So, you know, the way that patronage works and you know this has been over the hundreds and hundreds of years is you know you find an up-and-coming artist it can be beethoven maybe you know like say that you met beethoven when he was 15 years old and you hey this guy has talent but you know he doesn't have money so big deal i'm gonna start you know the patronage and then by you know combining those artists with the right circle of people or getting them visible, that's how you create, you know, you start building a career for them as well, you know, alongside their incredible talent, of course. That is obviously patronage and not curation, but I see curation as a complementary way of doing patronage, whereas in patronage, you actually probably need to have money, contacts or whatever. In the kind of curation that we propose at JPEG, you don't need to have any of those things. Maybe a little bit of money just for the gas fees, but that's about it. Maybe you start off as an anon and curate an amazing exhibition through JPEG, and it has up-and-coming artists. And you know, you just started your own anon account and have very little ETH or you know whatever a crypto asset. But you really want to do something with culture. And yeah, it doesn't also have to be art NFTs. You can combine different things. You can combine music, you can combine gaming assets, whatever you want. And you know, by simply engaging on curation and sharing and maybe tagging people on Twitter, you know, something as simple as that. People see your exhibition and not only you get elevated by having curated these with very little to, you know, almost no money just for fees, depending on the day, can be very expensive or not. And, you know, you get others to discover NFTs. And then, you know, people tend to follow the tastemakers. So once the tastemaking journey of a curator starts, they should be able to elevate as well the, the artists that they work with. Combining different uh, artists, whether up and coming or established, makes sense from that perspective, because, you know, the ones with a platform will, you know, be combined with ones with little platform. And that's where, you know, they, they uh, the smaller ones get visibility as well.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a really good point too something else i wanted to ask you about is because you've been in the nft space for so long like since the very beginning one thing that i've started doing recently is going back and doing some like nft archaeology and digging up some of the og projects that are still successful and just thinking about like what why did these projects you know make it through the test of time they're still big today and why other projects you know Like there's so many new NFT projects every day now. And obviously, like most of them, a lot of them, like don't make it big, like CryptoPunks or something. So from your view, like what what is it about the projects that you've seen make it, you know, big over the course of, you know, four years that we've been, you know, seeing NFTs in the space? Like what is it about those projects? What are those projects have in common that like the other projects don't have the ones that don't make it?
1: Um, I don't think that there's, a, if there is one 2017, 2018 NFT project that hasn't made it, um, I would be very curious to find out which one is it is, because then I would be just like buying the whole thing and speculating with it.
0: Weren't CryptoPunks from 2017 or like Rare Pepe's or Digital Zones, which is like my recent obsession?
1: Oh, yeah. But, you know, I think, you know, we can say like all of those like all of the early projects, probably made it by now because you know there's just so much archaeology. I was actually discussing this. Sorry to rant, but I was actually discussing this in in my newsletter. NFTs are amazing because, unlike, for example, DeFi, people are not chasing the next new form or the next new financial primitive. People love legacy and people respect history. That's why I say that probably all of the projects from the early days have made it in a way or another. From those, of course, you know, you have more basic ones. You have like ether rocks. They're just rocks. I still love it because of the absurdity of it all. But yeah, no artistic value, rocks, literal rocks. Um, And then you have others that are, you know, so conceptually rich, uh, like flower tokens that, you know, were, you know, Growing in an office in Berlin, and uh, you know the material songs as well. That you know, like the concept is absolutely beautiful, and it homages a very you know a fundamental artist in the in the field of conceptual art like Yves Klein. So yeah, in the end, uh, you know the cool thing about NFTs is that people value history and legacy and archaeology. So. That's why, why all of the NFTs from that time may make it. And also, you know, you if you were there uh, when ETH was very low and <laughs> or people were doing ICOs, then you, you know, the focus was elsewhere, was building other stuff, was building ERC-20s. And uh, you would assume that anything that you built then was, you know, first of its kind, which is sort of a value in NFTs.
0: Yeah, I I, I would say so. Um, so What are some of your favorite projects in the space today? I'm just curious.
1: I have so many. I love Beach Coin Coin by Sarah Mayoas. Um, It's uh, originally, I think, from 2015. Uh, It is a coin backed by petals, uh, rose petals. Then I love the mutant garden cedars uh, from Harm van der Dorpel as well. Those are absolutely stunning. I really like anything that comes out of Ria Myers, who is an amazing conceptual artist, and I'm very much into conceptual art as well. So I I really like those two. So I, I have to say, I know it's a sort of my own, but Salt but Salt 4 is such a beautiful project. Our own, you know, rotating NFTs. And yeah, there's a few ones. Oh, I, one that really gets a big shout out from me because it's so much fun. It's a uh, kutsu, the folia virus uh, that you know never ne- leaves your wallet, so you can uh, transact forever and just like spread it. And you know, it has no value, uh, it's still really, you know, it has no uh, like monetary value, it's it has a lot of value otherwise. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are some of my favorites, and of course. There's uh, this brilliant artist that I've had the pleasure of working with, Sarah Friend, and she has two really good NFT projects. One is Off. Off is uh, also a multiplayer game. Um, You buy NFTs uh, on Matic, it's off.supply, in case you're curious and want to check it out. So you buy different titles of devices and then all of the holders need to hold certain number for the devices to reveal themselves. And then uh, there's a second project by her that is currently uh, on display at an art show in Hamburg, and it's called Life Forms Supply. And it's like Tamagotchi pets, but as NFTs, also on Matic. And you need to take care of them every day. And actually, you should gift them, you shouldn't transact
0: oh interesting what what's that one called the tamagotchi one uh
1: life dot
0: supply oh okay i'm gonna check that out when you like decide you know which nfts to buy and stuff like when you see these new projects come out like what is your thought process is it just like Do I like what this art looks like? Do I like the story behind it? Do I think this is going to be valuable, like from a monetary perspective in the future? Like, what's your thought process?
1: Um, I usually try to dig into the concept and the story behind it more than the, you know, pictorial aspect. And that's how I decide. Of course, I have bought things because, you know, I wanted to flip them. We have all been there. And other things, I just like minted them because they were super fun. Um, I just minted um, the firsts by Beef, And I knew like everything was going to charity. And it was just so hilarious to dig, to call the numbers, the token numbers on uh, on the contract and just get these very random poems uh, or quotes and just like see if I could meet one. So I had a lot of fun with those ones. Um, so it depends really, you know, I'm I'm not the one that's gonna go into art blocks uh, for a drop and just spend a lot of money in gas on a project that I may not get. But if the project is especially beautiful, like, you know, the Lewitt uh, Generator Generator by Mitchell Chan, I will probably try to make it.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. Last question for you, where do you see NFTs being in, you know, the long run? Like, say ten years down the line, how do you see us interacting with NFTs in our day to day lives? You know, I
1: like I have trouble seeing myself in November. Uh, <laughs> everything is moving so fast and happening at the yeah. speed of it, right that it's impossible. I, I do think that they will overtake our digital lives. And they will completely change the way that we transact, maybe not in 10 years for, you know, the the ways that we actually transact and exchange value. But probably in 30 years, it, it will become sort of, you know, a new means of transaction. In the end, you know, I look at things from a sociological perspective as well and i think this will also change the way that we see the actors within the culture uh, industry or sphere in which we were used to uh, seeing culture you know as you know this cute thing that was absolutely necessary for our life but not something that you would you know actively invest like you know the like the general audience you know Maybe in mainstream culture, yes, by all means, but not in everything. You wouldn't take an active role in raising awareness about a creator or, you know, you wouldn't think about uh, the ways that you could invest with your friends around, you know, purchasing an NFT for the future. Right now, you know, NFTs are becoming financial instruments and cultural art, uh, and they are cultural artifacts. So I think they will also reshuffle the way that we see culture and that we pay attention to culture.
0: Yeah, uh, 100 percent. I cannot wait to see that. And yeah, I totally agree with you. I think I just tweeted something like one week feels like three months in nft twitter or something like that which is true i mean i can't believe like every coming out of last week especially i like had to take the weekend off because i was just like i feel like i just got like years shaved off my life like trying to keep up with this stuff in one week
1: i am so tired i wake up thinking of nfts even before the boom you know they were starting to penetrate my dreams and it was awful (laughs)
0: <laughs> awful awful or lovely i no, mean awful it's, yeah. awful, you know,
1: awful i i prefer to dream about more interesting stuff
0: <laughs> all right awesome thank you maria so much for being here i end every podcast uh segment episode with a segment called explain your tweet this is where i dig through your twitter and i pull out some interesting or cryptic tweets and i give you a chance to explain them your twitter is a uh is very entertaining. I would say like within the crypto Twitter community, especially here, I'll just dive into this one because I think this one sums up your thoughts pretty well. So this is from August 9th. Um, You had sort of, you know, a train of tweets on the same topic. You said, first of all, wrote a haiku today. Shit posting is art, unlike your terrible takes, which are just shit posts. And then you also tweeted on that same day. It's crazy to me that crypto Twitter has yet to understand the dynamics of supply and demand, also apply to thought leadership. Too many tryhards. However, there's a market opportunity in shit posting. Please leverage it and leave us alone with your terrible takes. I am probably guilty of this. I will just lead by that. But also would love to hear your thoughts about, you know, just like what you were thinking, like, what was frustrating you that day when you were tweeting this?
1: It's a mixture of toxic toxic positivity happening in the space and opium dealership. You know, I've worked with crypto communities for a very long time. And when the crypto winter comes, we need to deal with a lot, a lot of uh, personal issues from people that lost money and everything. You know, I want people to be really more mindful about what they're tweeting, of course, I'm seeing a cultural uh, transformation. I already told you this, you know. Of course, I believe that banks should go fuck themselves, and that you know, of course, I hate KYC, you know, and everything else. You know, I am a person that loves uh, their privacy and everything, but you need to be careful about uh, selling promises that you are not sure are going to happen. You know, this sort of. Like empty affirmations feel a lot like um like just trying to convince themselves, and in the most part, they're from people that you know have huge bags, so you know people need to be mindful of that not all of us have uh have made it or are gonna make it, really, you know, so you know there's winners and losers everywhere, everything is a casino restrain yourself if you think that you are throwing out a lot of promises and you have a large following. If you have like a few followers, that's completely fine. You know, talk all the shit that you want. But, you know, some good, you know, people need critics and people need to be a little bit more cynical because there's too many hopes and dreams and there's too many like both emotional and financial investment going on. So we need to proceed with a lot of caution, especially now that actually crypto has effectively gone mainstream.
0: That's something that I I was just seeing somebody discuss this on a Twitter thread today about like, how do you share about NFT projects you're excited about without misleading Your audience you know because like obviously you can't share every single thing that you know in your brain as you're making the decision to like ape into an nft project you can't share all of that with somebody but if you don't share all of that information then a lot of people reading your tweet just think oh i need to like go ape into this because you know maria said she like likes it or whatever Hmm. yeah how do you find that balance
1: um i try not to share anything um but also people don't follow me for my financial leads people follow me because i like to shitpost, um so i'm not really worried about that but you know i am really mindful that um, and also people you know purchase a, a some things that i share actually like cool stuff you know they're not doing it for investment um, so yeah, I try to you know I try to not share everything. I you know I keep it with my with my team or with my friends. I have Telegram private groups, like you know not not paid Telegram groups, right? Yeah. I'm not cringe. You know I share it with friends. I share them with my sister that also works in NFTs. I you know I maybe don't share them at all. Why do you need to overshare everything as well, right? Um, so yeah, everything you know, on the right measure.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's totally true. All right, well, thanks so much, Maria. I really appreciate you taking the time. Before you go, just tell people where, yeah, tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you personally after listening to this, and then also where people can go to check out JPEG.
1: Sure. So uh, JPEG is jpg dot space. Uh, the website. um The for and for the Twitter, you know, search JPEG because it has a lot of uh, like underscores, so you would get into trouble otherwise. And for me on Twitter, I am MP, the real MVP. Um, yeah, I think that's that's it. <laughs>
0: Love it. Thank you again so much, Maria. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And Thank you
1: so much. It was super
0: fun. Super fun. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time, too, when you're traveling. Um, I know you're, like, in a hotel with your cute little pup, who I was hoping would make an appearance but didn't. But uh, we'll get to see him some other time. Yeah, safe travels. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you, and thanks again for listening.